And the reading is taken from Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15, which you'll find on page 970 in your Bibles. And it's about prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men who they, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just, uh, let's just pray before we get, begin. Father God, we thank you for the, another opportunity to look into your word this morning. We pray that we would hear your voice um, speaking to us through its pages. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, this week, this uh, term rather, as hopefully you'll have realized, we're going through on a series in prayer that's going to be um, part of our sermon series um, for the term leading up, to, leading up to the end of the term, but also in our life groups, the small groups that we meet as well. We're going to have some special um, services as well that are focused on prayer. It's our theme um, for the term. And last week, um, Richard kicked off that, um, looking back right at the beginning of the Bible, looking in Genesis um, at the fact that God speaks first to us. He comes to us first. He gives us words of blessing, words of boundaries to keep us safe, and words of beckoning to draw us into relationship with him, with prayer being our response ultimately to that invitation. And if you weren't here last week, if you haven't heard it, then please do um, just uh, download the podcast either from SoundCloud or your church suite app and spend some time just listening to that introduction. It's well worth it. You know, the need to pray seems to be inbuilt um, into the human psyche. You only have to look at news reports, uh, look on the BBC website, or look at the television, and if there's a, an item about some form of personal tragedy, often the person speaking, whether it is a politician, or a leader, or maybe just an ordinary member of the public, will often say things like, our thoughts and our prayers go out to the family and the friends of those involved, or we're praying for 
such and such. Regardless of whether they really mean it or not, it feels like a comforting thing to say. It seems to be something that should be said and should be done. And at times of our own personal tragedy, there's numerous stories of people crying out to God, regardless of whether they're of faith or regardless of whether they've prayed before. There seems to be something necessary within us to cry out to something that is greater and higher than us. And there are examples of those sort of prayers in the Bible. Jesus himself prayed that sort of a prayer. And later on in our series, we'll be looking at those in a little more detail. But this week, we're going to start in perhaps what would seem like an obvious place, um, a prayer that's taught by the Master himself, taught by Jesus himself. After all, if you were wanting to learn how to bake a nice cake, you might watch or read something from Mary Berry, maybe. Um, if you wanted to learn how to be a winner in the Tour de France, then Geraint Thomas would be a great person to pay attention to. If you wanted to learn how to be a buffoon, then maybe Boris Johnson might be someone who might. Um, we'll go. But anyway, we're going to be looking at um, yeah, okay. um, we're going to be looking at the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples um, this morning. And as with any sermon, here's a caveat, as with any sermon, anything that is preached, this sermon is aimed as much as myself as it is to all those listening as well. Just because I'm standing up the front and saying the words doesn't mean that my prayer life is anything to write home about, far from it. So we're on this journey together. So today we're going to look at a prayer that's commonly called the Lord's Prayer, or the Our Father in some traditions or as my Irish friend told me the other day, the Our Father. It's recorded here in Matthew in, uh, in one, one form. Uh, it's recorded as well in Luke in a slightly different form. And even in Matthew here, uh, we've got some words that aren't here that we use now right at the end, but they're in a footnote that we're in a slightly later um, translation. You might have um, been brought up um, reading and understanding the Lord's Prayer in kind of traditional English. You might be talking about trespasses and things like that. Um, you might use the modern version as we do here, and you might think about sins or debts or things being owed. It's the same prayer, and I'm sure it's one that every person in this room has experienced in one form or another, whether it be in a school assembly at some point, or whether it be in a church service, or at a wedding, or a funeral, or as we take um, communion. It's an incredibly familiar prayer. But as with anything that's familiar, there is a risk that we become over-familiar with it as well. So it doesn't hurt to take a step back sometimes and to pause and to reflect on what we're reading and what we're speaking. And for some, that might be the first time we've done that. For others, you may have studied it in detail many times before. There was a sermon series where Richard went through line by line several years ago. If you were here in the church then, you would have heard that. But hopefully we can all take something fresh from it this morning. So I've got three points about what the Lord's Prayer is not, and then four points about what the Lord's Prayer is. And the first one that it is not, it is not magic. It's not magic. Do you notice in verse 9, Jesus says, keep your Bibles open, we're going to look at a few verses together. In verse 9, 
He says, this then is how you should pray. This is then how you should pray. He doesn't say, this is what you should pray. So when you pray, you only use these words in this order that I am giving to you, and that is how you pray. No, he says, this is how you should pray. This is, this is, this is a way of praying. This is a framework for praying, if you like. It's not supposed to be a magic set of words that we recite in the right way, and then the magic happens like a magic spell. Maybe something, uh, something a little bit like this. Guardian Leviosa. Stop, stop, stop. You're going to take someone's eye out. Besides, you're saying it wrong. It's Leviosa, not Leviosa. You do it then if you're so clever. Go on, go on. Guardian Leviosa. Oh, well done. See here, everyone. This great has done it. Splendid. That's um, from Harry Potter, for those of you who thought, what on earth is going on over there? That's one thing that prayer isn't. It's not about saying the right words in the right order with the right intonation on them, and suddenly the magic happens. It's not like a vending machine where if you put the right amount of money in and you press the right button on it, then the thing that you desire drops out of the bottom in front of you. It's not like a fruit machine, for those of you who do such things. Put enough money into it and press the right buttons on it, and eventually you'll get the big payout at the end of it. It's not magic, and that's not what the Lord's Prayer is about. That's not what Jesus was giving us here. It's essentially Jesus saying, here's some good pointers to help you to know how to pray. It's a little bit more like, and my daughter does a little bit of pottery at the moment, uses a wheel, and it's a little bit more like you're going to build a pot. Well, here's some pointers. This is what you want to kind of think about. You want to, you know, put lots of water on because that, that really helps, you know, to keep it fluid. And you want to make sure the clay's in the center so that it doesn't whiz around too much. And you want to get the wheel spinning at the right speed so that you do it. And after that, let's see how you get on with it, really. And the result every time is completely different. You can make lots of different things and you never do the same thing twice. But it's prayer, the Lord's Prayer, I see a little bit more like that. Something kind of a framework for us that helps us as we pray and as we create beauty. The second thing that prayer is not, mindless repetition. We go back to the beginning um, of the passage that we were reading there. Uh, we go to um, verse 7. Jesus says, when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. In other translations, it talks about repetition, veinless repetition, mindless repetition. He's saying of people that this isn't what prayer is all about. It may seem a certain irony that Jesus says that, and then a few verses later, he gives us a prayer that's probably been repeated verbatim over the centuries more than any other. But the emphasis on what Jesus is saying is the mindless nature of this repetition, using the mouth without essentially engaging our hearts and minds, saying something over and over again without actually thinking about what we're saying is what he's saying here. But the Lord's Prayer 
as with any set of words that's spoken regularly, any form of liturgy, any worship song that we sing, if they're done in a totally mindless fashion, can lose their value. But repetition in and of itself doesn't invalidate the activity. Saying something, the same words again, doesn't make it false. There's a value in the learning that comes from repetition. When prayer becomes familiar so that our minds can engage with something higher and deeper. And maybe when we don't have access to a Bible or a prayer book, to have those words that we've learned to be able to recite them can be a wonderful gift to have. So it's not magic. It doesn't have to be mindless repetition. And the third thing is that it's not impersonal. After all, these aren't my words. They're not your words. These words that were spoken by Jesus and then written down. And there can be a danger among us from a non-traditional background. I know there's some of us um, here this morning. There's probably some listening on the podcast as well from a non-traditional church background, maybe non-conformist if you want to call it that, in our upbringing that says true prayer is only prayer if we kind of make it up ourselves, if we're speaking it from our heart and if we're speaking it from our mind, not that we're speaking somebody else's words. After all, how can there be value in reciting words that are penned by somebody else? But just because we use other people's words doesn't give them less value. And I just want to come out here for a moment, and I just want to come up to the lovely Pat who's here this morning. She's wonderful, Pat is. And I'd just like to say to Pat, Pat, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? (laughs) Thou art more lovely and more temperate. There you go. And she may look like she's giggling and about to slap me, but inside she's melting from those words. She has been wooed. Now, I'm just thinking that probably I should have gone and said them to my own wife. But I feared that she might just laugh at me or glare at me like she's doing now. So, they're not my words, penned, of course, by William Shakespeare, 16th century playwright. But that doesn't make them invalid just because they're not of my own. I'm sure all the men here could turn to their partners and could say to them that they are much lovelier than any summer's day. And that was an opportunity for you to turn to your partner and nod and smile and you've blown it and don't, don't say I don't do anything for you. Just because it's someone else's words doesn't make it invalid. I mean, if I talked in Shakespearean sonnets the whole time, you'd probably say I was being insincere or insane or or one of those things. But just because we use someone else's words, by definition, doesn't make them false. For instance, another example, um, wedding vows that we use. There's kind of a move nowadays for some people to, to write their own vows, which is all well and good. But you know, the vows that have been used for centuries and spoken time after time in wedding ceremonies have a beautiful simplicity to them, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. 
till death do us part. Less than 20 words, but it encapsulates almost the whole of human life and experience. Not our own words, not ones that we've penned, but it doesn't make them invalid when we speak them. And it's the same with the Lord's Prayer. Just because we use the words of a prayer that was written by somebody centuries ago doesn't make them untrue or insincere. The test is whether we believe them and whether we engage with the words that we're saying. So that's three things that the Lord's Prayer isn't. It's not magic. It's not insincere. It's not impersonal and it's not repetitive. So a couple of things that the Lord's Prayer is. First of all, the Lord's Prayer is a reminder. It's a reminder of the church universal. This is a prayer that's been uttered millions and millions of times across time and space. It reminds us that we here are part of the body of Christ. The same words have been used in many different languages, many different people groups throughout time for centuries past. And this can, reminding us of this, can stop us being insular and inward looking in our faith. In Hebrews 12, it talks about us being surrounded by a big cloud of witnesses. And if we're surrounded by witnesses from time past, Christians, people of faith, from all times and all parts of the world, then we should run this race set before us, this race of faith with perseverance. And it reminds us that we're not alone, along with the Holy Spirit. God's given us each other in the form of his church. Not the building here, but his people, the church universal, and also the church local here in all souls. He's giving us people to walk alongside in our journeys, to laugh with, to cry with together. The second thing that the Lord's Prayer, I think, is it is private, but it is also public as well. Look at verses 5 and 6 at the beginning of the passage. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, but they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus says that praying isn't about being seen by others. It's not about trying to impress others with our eloquence and our piousness. He says, go to your room. The kind of the word for that might have been just like a little storeroom. Some translations sort of translate it as a closet, somewhere really that's your own, where nobody else is going to be, just you and God. He says, go to that private place, get real, get close and personal. This prayer stuff, it's all about building relationship. It's not about a performance. And for us, that might not necessarily be cramming yourself into the cupboard under the stairs, but it might be having those moments when you're able to just be in your own space. It might be on the train as you commute into work with a pair of headphones on. It might be as we walk or as we run or cycle or swim. It might be as we're doing the washing up or tending the garden, whatever. That place where we can just spend time alone with God, where we're not putting on a performance 
for others. But Jesus doesn't say, if you notice, that you should never pray in public, which is fortunate, as Linda has just done that for us so beautifully earlier on. Because notice the very first word of the prayer that he gives to the disciples. Our Father. Not my Father. Our Father. He gave them a prayer that was meant to be spoken in an inclusive fashion, in a public fashion. In church life here, we have several types of prayers that we use. We have um, public prayers where we're led, like Linda has done with our intercessions. We have private prayers where we spend time just quietly ourselves. We might have prayer time uh, where you might pray with another member um, of the congregation or, or with Richard um, in our prayer space over there. And we might have some prayers um, that we say all together and some liturgy that we say all together inclusively. And there's place for all of them. And I think the Lord's Prayer fits into both those. It's a prayer that we can use in private ourselves, but it's a prayer that we use inclusively as well. Our Father, forgive us. We remind ourselves that we're a body. Thirdly, it's an aspirational prayer. It's aspirational. What do I mean by that? Well, one difficulty sometimes with using words that another person has penned, using prayers especially that someone else has penned, is sometimes, you know, we just don't necessarily feel it. What we're saying, what we're reading, isn't necessary exactly where we're at at that moment in time. And the words don't just quite correlate with how we're feeling. But I think prayers like the Lord's Prayer, set prayers, can almost be seen as a shape to move into, if you want that kind of a phrase to use. Essentially saying, this is what I want to want. This is what I aspire to want. So that when we pray it, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, actually, at the moment, I really want my will to be done. I'm not really in that place at the moment where I'm willing to say, I want your kingdom to come and your will be done. But I want to want that. And that's what I'm going to pray. Maybe forgive us our sins, forgive others. I am not in that place to forgive that person who's just wronged me at the moment. But I long to be in that place where I can be like that. So I'm going to pray this prayer with faith to aspire to get to that. It's, it's an aspirational prayer. And finally, it's both a complete prayer in and of itself. We can read it and we can pray it just as it is, but it's also, I think, a great framework of how we might pray ourselves. We can use it as a structure on which to build, a kind of a springboard to take us into our own prayer. It doesn't contain absolutely everything that we might pray. For instance, there aren't necessarily bits in it about praying for the needs of others. But it's got a really strong theme of developing a close relationship with God, like Richard was talking about earlier, about being part of the family. So very briefly, let's just look through this prayer that's so familiar to us and how we might use this. Our Father, such an intimate term to start a prayer off with. 
our heavenly father, the perfect father, not one that we might have an image of as an earthly father who for some of us might have been a complete failure and someone who was maybe only a father in biological sense. This is the perfect father who always loves, has a never-failing love for his children, someone who's so intimate that we can have a relationship with. Our father in heaven, despite being our father, despite having a close relationship with him, we remind ourselves that he is also so much more than us. Our father in heaven, he's our creator, all-powerful and beyond our understanding. Hallowed be your name, or in some translations, honored be your name, or holy be your name. We honor God by recognizing his holiness, his perfection, and recognizing his touch in the world in which we live. Let's not dishonor God's name by the things that we think or the things that we say or do. Your kingdom come. We pray that God would allow us to be an agent of that kingdom, that we can bring peace to the anxious and grace to the needy and God's love to all those that we might meet. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your will, God, be done here rather than mine. May I in some small way stop putting me at the center of everything and ask for your will. May I have the humility to do that and the wisdom to know what your will is. Give us today our daily bread. Basically talking about just our needs right now. We've got no guarantee of a day beyond this one. So may I trust you, God, for the needs of today and the peace to stop me worrying about the needs of tomorrow. And also may I be responsive to those that I know are struggling and are in need at this time. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Remind me of my true state of a debtor that can never buy my way into your favor, God. And may I be thankful that I don't have to. And give me that same attitude of grace that you give to me when I deal with those that have wronged me. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. May I be alert to the temptations of the things that draw me away from you. Make me strong to resist them. And yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. May we put our lives, the past, the present, and the future into perspective in the light of his eternal kingdom, his eternal strength of our all-powerful, eternal God. And that little word at the end, amen, which is essentially a word that just means, I agree, I'm signing up to this, I'm getting on board with it. It's like a signature at the bottom of a contract that we can say when people lead us in prayer, we say as we say prayers together, yes, I'm going along with this. And even if I don't go along with all of it, I aspire to. This is the shape that I want to pray into. So each week we're just having one little thing that we're calling try this. 
And for this week, this is maybe something that we can try. Pray in the Lord's Prayer on a daily basis in a quiet place. Sometime when we're on our own or we're in our own space. Just that short prayer that is so familiar to us. And maybe just taking a little bit of time for each line thinking, what does this mean to me? Is this aspirational for me? Is this something I really believe at the moment or is it something that I need to pray that I really want to want? And as we pray, we can thank God for his church worldwide that we're sharing this prayer with others around us. And we can use it as a springboard for our own prayers, to personalize it for our own needs and the needs of those whom we love.